Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Big greed and big money have been taking down America for years and years. We had the tobacco industry lying to us for decades about the toxicity of their product. Before that, it was the asbestos industry, the fossil fuel industry lying to us about their products and basically lying to us about climate change, all for money, all to make profit. And it turns out that it's even worse than that. They're not only willing to kill us and destroy the planet, but now uh, apparently the entire big pieces of industries that are associated with the fossil fuel industry are themselves knee-deep in bribery and scandal. On the line with us is the assistant professor at the Department of Political Science at the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management, Professor Leah Stokes. This is the Environmental Studies Department at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a surrogate for Climate Power 2020. LeahStokes.com or ClimatePower2020.org, the websites. Her Twitter handle is L-E-A-H-S-T-O-K-E-S, Leah Stokes. Professor Stokes, tell us about this multi-billion, $60 billion scandal that started out, it seemed like a, a local bribery scandal in Ohio, but now it seems to be blowing up. Tell us about this. Yeah. So as I studied in my book called Short Circuiting Policy, First Energy, the electric utility, has been up to all kinds of shady, dark money schemes over the last few years. And we recently found out when the FBI arrested Speaker Larry Householder a couple weeks ago that uh, it turns out a lot of this was illegal bribes, that they were funneling money into a dark money group so that they could get a large coal bailout. And in my book, I try to estimate how big that bailout is, and it's on the order of billions of dollars. And what it does is it keeps open several dirty coal plants that, of course, make it more likely for people to die from COVID because they're breathing in dirty air. And of course, it exacerbates climate change. Leah, as a, uh, as a fellow author, my apologies, I didn't realize you had a book. Give me the title again so I can write it down and mention it. It's called Short Circuiting Policy. Thank you. What's the involvement of Donald Trump in this? Well, unfortunately, First Energy, before they were going to the Ohio State House to try to get their coal bailout, they were going to the White House and to the Trump administration. In fact, Larry Householder was flown to the Trump inauguration on a corporate jet 
that First Energy owned, along with his son. First Energy flew to Washington, D.C. numerous times, perhaps 30 or more times, according to the Energy and Policy Institute, to meet with senior officials such as Rick Perry, who was at the time Secretary of Energy. And of course, uh, the Trump administration worked pretty hard to try to get the bailout through because the Trump administration took big campaign contributions from coal barons based in Ohio, like Bob Murray. We also know that uh, an official with the 2016 Trump election campaign was involved in calling people up in Ohio, calling up representatives and trying to pressure them to pass the coal bailout. We're talking with Professor Leah Stokes, the author of Short Circuiting Policies, if I have that right. LeahStokes.com, ClimatePower2020.org. There's a core or key issue here that I don't think that we've articulated. Exactly what is, you talked about this bailout. What are the details of this? Is this some failing coal power plant or some, you know, is this the failure to trans, trans, transition to other kinds of energy? Is it, I mean, what, what is actually going on here? What is, what is the actual scandal? For the last several years, the utility company First Energy has been going to the Ohio legislature and trying to get money to keep open several plants that are not economically viable. In Ohio, there's an electricity market, which means that utilities have to actually um, compete to produce power. And there are several plants, coal plants in the state, uh, the OVEC plants and the Samus coal plants that lose money pretty much every hour they operate. But unfortunately, First Energy and AEP, two utilities that own those plants, they put a lot of debt into those plants. And so they don't want to shut them down, even if they are costing Ohioans extra money to run and, of course, polluting the air with lots of um, particulate matter and other very dangerous air pollution. They would rather keep them open. So what they did is they basically bribed um, the Speaker of the House, uh, Larry Householder. They literally gave uh, probably half a million dollars to Larry Householder for things like his legal problems, his re-election campaign, or his secondary home in Florida, so that he would make sure that First Energy and AEP would get a big bailout so that they could keep these dirty coal plants open. That is remarkable. Where is this going? Is this a, a Republican scandal, a Larry Householder scandal, a Trump administration scandal? And how do you expect this to play out? Well, unfortunately, a lot of politicians take money from utilities. So there are lots of ties into the Trump administration. We know, for example, that the bailout funds that the Congress passed through the CARES Act several months ago, an enormous amount of that funding has been going to prop up coal companies that are in terrible financial shape, as well as fossil fuel companies that are basically bankrupt. I'm talking about companies that are rated as junk that the Trump administration is giving money to through the Federal Reserve and also directly through other policies. So the Trump administration is really favoring coal, oil, and natural gas companies. And this is just a really blatant example of the kind of corruption that is allowing these companies to get special favors under the current Trump administration. But it also, of course, has to do with Ohio. And unfortunately, even um, 
the former Democratic candidate for president, Tim Ryan, who took a pledge to not take money from fossil fuel companies, was recently uncovered by journalist Emily Aitken that he did take money from First Energy, and he hasn't even said he's going to return it. So we have a lot of politicians that are in bed with the fossil fuel industry. The Trump administration is at the very top of that list, but we really mm -hmm. have to get electric utility money out of our politics across the board. Yeah, Tim Ryan is a Democratic congressman from Ohio. Um, I know him. Decent guy, but, you know, hey, this is, this is a bizarre business. Um, do you think that's going to happen, Leah? Yeah, I do think that there's a big campaign gaining steam across the country to get politicians to stop taking dirty fossil fuel and electric utility money. In Virginia, politicians stopped taking that money, and the next year they passed a clean energy law. So we can get politicians wow. to get out of the pocket of big oil and big utilities and instead start working towards the clean energy future. It's all about the money in politics. Professor Leah Stokes, author of Short-Circuiting Policies and leahstokes.com, the website. Leah, thank you so much for dropping by today. It's great talking with you. Great to talk to you. I've got, you know, a few things here I want to share with you. Actually, a, quite a number of them. It's just like so much going on continuously. It's nonstop. It's like drinking out of a fire hose, you know, the, just the, the way the news is going. First of all, the unemployment numbers are in. More than a million people in the last week have applied for unemployment benefits. This is either the 19th or 20th continuous straight week where more people are continuously applying for unemployment benefits. That said, the economy recovered a little over a million jobs. Now, for some reason, they use the word created a million new jobs when the regular corporate media, the mainstream press uh, reports this. I think it's more accurate to say recovered. In fact, when you do the deep dive, what you find is that a lot of these people are being just hired back. And in some cases, they were hired back a month ago, and now they're being told, get ready, we're going to lay off again. Because with this absolutely incompetent response to the coronavirus, or what seems incompetent, it's actually malicious. I mean, the fact of the matter is that back in March and April, back after April 7th, when it was reported in all the media in America for the very first time, now, keep in mind, from, from mid-March to April 7th, the United States was locked down. Anthony Fauci was giving us daily briefings. Trump and everybody in the administration was saying, oh, hey, we've got to do something about this. We've got to social distance, wear your mask, lock it down, don't go to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that changed on April 7th. The thing that boggles my mind is that nobody in the media ever points this out. The week after April 7th, when it got widely reported that most of the people who were dying were black or Hispanic or Social Security age. Useless eaters, as libertarians like to refer to them. The day after that got reported, everything changed from the point of view of the Trump administration. And we now know from fairly solid reporting that Jared Kushner and Donald Trump sat down and said, hey, you know, look at this. It's mostly black people, Hispanic people, and old people dying. The old people vote Democratic. They like their Social Security. The black and Hispanic people vote mostly Democratic. And screw them. And plus you got, you know, it's only happening in states with Democratic governors. Let's let them take the heat. And then to cover up this crime, and make no mistake about it, this is a crime. This was malicious. Donald Trump and Jared Kushner and his administration then, continuing to this day, decided to let people die because they thought it was going to be mostly Democrats. And 
Truth be told, to this day, even in red states, most of the people dying again are black, Hispanic, or if they're white, they're either poor or they're elderly. All constituencies that Donald Trump thinks, hey, it's fine if they die. And then to cover this thing up, instead of having hospitals report their data to the CDC, which then a federal agency immediately makes it public, Trump had that information reported instead. He ordered all the hospitals, so 6,000 hospitals in the United States, report that information instead to HHS. But HHS, Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, the guy who used to be the CEO of Eli Lilly and doubled the price of insulin, HHS actually isn't processing the data. Trump gave a no-bid contract to one of his billionaire buddies and a private for-profit corporation is processing that data. I think the company is Telelogic. I've got an article on it here. We'll get to it a little bit. And they're screwing it up royally. Except maybe they're not screwing it up. Maybe, again, this is part of Trump's cover-up of the crime that he committed. And America seems, hey, you know, just fine with letting him get away with it, which is, you know, kind of mind-boggling to me, frankly. Meanwhile, this headline from Laura Clausen over at Daily Kos, big support for $600 unemployment benefit, but people don't know who to blame for its lapse. We talk about Democratic Party messaging. Democrats, you need to do some theater. It's been two months as I recall, maybe seven weeks, but it's been in the neighborhood of two months since the House of Representatives passed the HEROES Act, a $3 trillion relief package that extends that $600 a week for quite a few more months. I'm not sure exactly, I don't recall exactly how far, but quite a ways into the future and provides money for the post office and provides money for election security and provide, I mean, you know, it's just, basically it solves so many problems. It's been two months so, like, you know, deliver two-month calendars to the White House, or maybe we can brainstorm some, some incredible stunt that the Democrats could do to the media would pick up so that the average American would realize that it was two months ago the Democrats solved this problem, and the only reason it hasn't happened is because Mitch McConnell refuses to allow a vote in the Senate. And so now they're having to negotiate with Mark Meadows, the former head of the Tea Party Caucus in the House of Representatives, a totally coked-up wackadoodle, coked up as in Charles Cook who is now the president's chief of staff, Trump's chief of staff, yesterday he walked out of the, he slammed his hand on the table. Really? The rationale, the reason that these Trump humpers are using to say we shouldn't be giving $600 a week to people who are out of work for no, you know, no cause of their own, is that if you give people $600 a week, they will not work. They won't go to work. Now, there have been a number of organizations, including Economic Policy Institute and others, who have looked for any evidence, either in statistics or in actual anecdotal studies or even interviews of individuals, that would indicate that people are refusing to go to work because they're turning that $600 into dollar bills, filling their bedroom with them and diving in them like it's a money bin, you know, like Charles Koch has, presumably. <laughs> but they, can't, they haven't found any evidence of that. But they hold to this. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell is essentially saying this this week. You've got, you know, Freedom Works, other right-wing groups out, you know, uh, essentially saying this. This is the argument that was made by a bunch of Republicans on the Sunday shows last week. If you give people 600 bucks a week, $2,400 a month, you know, roughly, what would that be, in the neighborhood of $30,000 a year, they won't work anymore. Which raises an interesting question. If that is true, 
How far down should we cut the uh, the salaries of CEOs and senior executives in corporations to force them to work? How much should we be taxing the estates of rich people if we don't want their kids and grandkids, you know, if they're never going to work and, you know, society's number one imperative is to force people to work. I mean, this is also the rationale that has been used over the years to not have a national health care system, right? Because if people don't get their health insurance from work, they won't have an incentive to find a job that has health insurance. So how much wealth should be stripped away from rich people in order to get them to go back to work? I don't know the answer to the question. The Republicans apparently think it's less than 600, you know, it's in the neighborhood of $600 a week. But, you know, I mean, just think about that for a minute. It's, it's totally bizarre. Also in the news, the Treasury Department, Steve Mnuchin, the guy that committed multiple crimes for which he could have gone to prison, although the attorney general at the time chose not to prosecute him, sadly, uh, that guy, that Steve Mnuchin, the attorney general of California, that guy has publicly, he offered the Postal Service a deal. We will loan you, we're not going to give you, we will loan you $10 billion dollars. If you will give us, the Trump administration, your trade secrets, if you will give us the details of the contracts that you have for last mile delivery that are very profitable in some cases, in some cases not, but whatever, we want to know the details of these contracts that you have with FedEx, with DHL, with UPS, uh, you know, with uh, fill in the blank, right? Amazon. We want to know the details. Now, why would the Republicans want to know the details? Well, presumably so that they can give those details to to UPS and FedEx, who can use that information against the Postal Service to help destroy the post office. This is, you know, job one of the Republican Party right now. As we as we go into an election season where, you know, a lot of people are faced with a choice. Do I want to vote or do I want to stay healthy? You know, if I if I have to physically go into vote, I might get sick. I, you know, we saw after the Wisconsin election where the Republicans in Wisconsin succeeded in forcing people to vote. Yeah, a hell of a lot of people showed up. There was a huge spike in coronavirus afterwards, too. So, you know, we've seen this. So we've got the Trump administration further destroying the post office. We've we've got. You know, there's this question of how much do we need to cut the wealth of rich people to get them to work? Or is that just BS? Do do the rich people just want to acknowledge that this is BS? The idea that it's wrong to give people $600 a week because they won't want to work is just a lie. And as I'm watching Jim Jordan and and these other Trump humpers trying to pin down Anthony Fauci and and, uh, Redford and whatnot, saying, you know, well, you know, if you don't want kids to go back to school or you don't want kids or whatever, you know, if, should we ban demonstrations? Should we, you know, how do we force the kids back? How important how children are getting abused at home? Yeah, these are all real problems. There are a bunch of real problems associated with this coronavirus. Homicides are up all over the country. They're up here in Oregon. As I said, you know, a few weeks ago, um, what used to be disagreements now become fights. What used to be fights now become fist fights. What used to be fist fights now become knockdown drag out. What used to be knockdown drag out now become shootings. What you know, what used to be just shootings now become murder. I mean, you know, people are pressurized. People are under pressure. 
And that pressure increases dramatically when they lose their unemployment check. But do the Republicans want to address any of that? Oh, no. They want to say, you know, murder is up. Therefore, let's send those secret police into Portland. And then you've got other Republicans saying, no, no, it, it needs to be a formula. If the only job that they could find was paying $7.25 an hour and their job has evaporated, then, you know, we should pay them 70% of $7.25 an hour. Right? We should cut their pay by 30% or cut their income by 30%, rather, because that'll force them back to work. Won't that be nice? The problem with that is that, aside from the obvious, well, actually, some of the European governments are, are offering 70 to 80% of your pay um, to stay home. But the, but the Republicans are making people jump through hoops, and they're making it hard to get into the websites and all this kind of stuff. But the big problem for that is that the Treasury Department says that if we've got to go in and calculate everybody's pay and then multiply that times 0.7 and then, and then feed that money into the giant check printing machine, uh, which also, of course, does electronic deposits, if we're going to do that, it's going to take months. We can't do math like that, you know, overnight. That's why the Democrats put 600 bucks a week into the, into the, uh, into the original bailout or the original whatever you want to call it, you know, coronavirus compensation. And let's be very clear, by the way, we would not have this coronavirus crisis in the United States at anything close to the level that we have if Donald Trump had behaved with any comp and the Republican Party and Fox News and right wing media had behaved with any level of competence or patriotism. Trump loves to say that, that, you know, the liberals who run the cities hate America. I've got, I got three emails from him this weekend that all said the same thing. In addition to the two I got from Don Jr. pitching his new book. He's got, he's got a new book about liberals out, or it's not out yet. And he says, if you make a 75, the first one said, make a $75 contribution and I'll send you an autographed copy. And then the second one said, make a $25 contribution and you'll be one of the very first to get my book. So now we've got this grifters family using the RNC to raise money. And I'll get into that in just a minute. There's, there's a mind boggling story there too. But the question I suppose is how much worse must things get? before Americans wake up to this whole Republican scam, this whole thing that they call being conservative. It's a scam. It's a hustle. It's a con. It's a con that's been going on since the late 19th century when they had the horses and sparrow theory that the way that you, that you create prosperity for average working people is you feed extra oats to the horses which means that they will poop out lots of undigested oats, which means the sparrows who, who peck at the, the piles behind the horses will get fatter, right? They'll have it. And, and literally, that's how it was sold in the, 18, in, the late, in the 1880s and 1890s when this was first really rolled out in a big way. And then it became basically trickle-down economics. During the Roaring Twenties, it was like, you know, if, if the rich people get really rich, then there will be benefit to society. What's good for General Motors is good for America. And then Reagan came along and, and coined trickle-down economics. But, you know, the bottom line needs to be clear. Republicans were more than happy to pass out over $3 trillion over the last three years, $3 trillion between tax cuts and subsidies to giant corporations, billionaires, and people worth more than $100 million. But they don't give a rat's ass about you, me, or anybody who qualifies as Americans working people. 
They've been running this scam, the current version of this scam, since the 1980s, when Ronald Reagan tried to convince America that if we just destroyed unions, a third of America was unionized when he came into office. Now it's 6%. If we just destroyed the unions and cut taxes on rich people, prosperity will come to the working class. It was a lie then, and it's a lie now. And this weekend, all these Republicans were on the, on the, on the Sunday talk shows saying, well, you know, people are more comfortable sitting at home and getting $600 than going back to work. They're, they're making more money on unemployment than, than when they were working. Shouldn't that tell you something about what they were being paid when they were working? This is nuts. You know, no rational person, giving the choice, would choose to expose themselves to a disease that could kill them or their family, or if they're lucky, only lead to lifelong kidney damage or heart damage or brain damage. But, you know, ending the, the moratorium on ev evictions, letting the 600 bucks expire. Republicans think that the risk of becoming homeless or not being able to pay for your medications or going hungry will get you back to work. Will it? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And then on top of that, they're like, oh, and gee, I, I wonder why there's an increase in crime. This is nuts. Mm -hmm. um, monetary and financial systems. What are your thoughts on how out of control they are, how we can rein them in? Yeah, that's it. Gold is pushing $2,000 an ounce right now, and there are speculation. The Axios newsletter I got this morning was talking about, people are talking about $3,000 an ounce gold. And uh, what people have to keep in mind is that when the price of gold goes up, it doesn't mean that gold got more valuable. It means that the dollar got less valuable. You know, gold is functionally the international currency and, you know, against which other currencies are measured. You know, a lot of people are putting their money in gold. They're putting it into euros. They're putting it into Australian dollars or Canadian dollars because the Fed has been printing money like there's no tomorrow. The, the Fed has seven trillion dollars on their balance sheet just from the last six months where they're buying corporate bonds and they're buying corporate stock in order to support the stock market. Mm -hmm. This is stuff that is beyond the, Fred, the Fed's uh, legal uh, ability to do. This is illegal, what Jerome Powell is doing. But, you know, Donald Trump put him in that office and then harassed the, the bejesus out of him. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, Jerome Powell's inclinations to begin with. The guy is not an economist. He's the first, I, I think he's the first Fed chief we've had in my lifetime who's not an economist. He's a bankster. He, you know, he used to be an investment banker. And so, gee, what a surprise. The Fed is printing money and giving it to bankers. Um, and, uh, you know, with Jerome Powell at the head of it. And what I think this is going to produce, uh, you know, he's doing everything he can to hold the economy together and, and the stock market together until November 3rd. And on November 4th, particularly, or, or whenever the election is ultimately decided, it'll probably be a week or two with mail-in ballots. But, you know, when the election is decided, I think Powell is going to step back and say, okay, that's it. We're just going to let the currency float. We're not going to print any more money. We're not going to support the stock market anymore. And the, the bottom is going to fall out of the market. You're going to see a market going to, to five or at, at the worst and 10, probably 10,000 at the best, um, you know, on the Dow. And, and the, the narrative that the Republicans and the right-wing media are going to manufacture is Americans elected a Democrat and therefore the business community, which knows best, they understand economics, the business community has decided to run for the hills, to head for the hills because the Democrat is coming, increased taxes are coming and all that kind of stuff. 
get ready for that narrative because that's what's going to be going on. But in the meantime, you know, what's going to what's going to follow that is a couple of years of really severe inflation. We're going to be back to Jimmy Carter style inflation, you know, which which came about as a result of Jerry Ford's policies. Uh, you know, the inflation follows the action by by typically two to five years. So, I, I, you know, I think the Biden administration is going to have some really big challenges to deal with. And, uh, you know, I, mean, I pray to God that they are up to the task because this is going to be this is going to be huge. This is going to be ugly. And I agree with you. We have to restore you know, fiscal sanity. And I'm not talking about balancing the budget, although, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to balance the budget. But right now, the priority is, you know, getting Americans safe. You know, number one, safety, the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, safety. It's the foundation of everything. Phil, thank you for the call. You you brought up a really important point. The attorney general of the state of New York, Letitia James, the AG of New York, has filed a lawsuit against the National Rifle Association. It turns out it gets very bizarre. Part of this has to do with the NRA's a 108-foot yacht equipped with four staterooms, 16-foot jet boat, two jet skis, and features a crew that includes a chef. This is where, uh, this, I don't think this is their yacht. It's just a yacht that they're apparently renting because uh, Wayne LaPierre keeps hanging out on this yacht and not declaring it to the IRS, and that's part of why she's suing them. He says that he needs to go to the yacht because uh, security. The guy with a million guns. He needs a yacht for security. Okay. This is the five most jaw-dropping details. Brad Reed writing about this for, for a Raw Story. Number one, LaPierre took multiple trips in the Bahamas on a luxury yacht owned by a business car partner, but failed to disclose any of them. I just shared that with you. Number two, LaPierre got NRA donors to pay for over $100,000 worth of membership fees at a private golf course. I wonder if that was a Trump golf course. Number three, <laughs> LaPierre awarded himself a post-employment contract worth an estimated $17 million. In other words, I'm going to retire, so I'm going to give myself a contract for the NRA to continue paying me to the tune of $17 million after I've retired without getting approval from the NRA's board of directors. This might be what uh, Ali North was a little upset about. Number four, LaPierre got the NRA to fund multiple private jet flights for his family members, even when he wasn't on the plane. He said that he personally needed to take private jets on business trips because of security concerns. He, you know, Wayne LaPierre doesn't walk through airports. Uh, but, you know, why does his wife, why is his niece, when they're flying alone, Here's, this is from uh, Letitia James's uh, uh, lawsuit. From May, 15, uh, May 2015 to April 2019, the NRA incurred over $1 million in expenses for private flights where LaPierre was not a passenger. One particularly expensive trip was a flight in 2017, which the NRA paid $26,900 to fly LaPierre's niece and her daughter from Dallas to Orlando for $26,000. Oh, and another thing, the NRA paid under Wild Skies $18 million so that Wayne LaPierre could take an all-expense-paid African safari. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
And with NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is, by the way, the 75th anniversary of our dropping a bomb on Hiroshima. That's a pretty big deal. The nuclear age, we ushered in the nuclear age with this August 6th. Three days later on August 9th, we dropped a second bomb on Nagasaki. And in those three days, 200,000 men, women, and children were vaporized. Hundreds of thousands more died slow, agonizing deaths. And you know, now we've got the bulletin of atomic scientists. They've got their, their doomsday clock to 100 seconds short of midnight. They say humanity continues to face two simultaneous existential dangers, nuclear war and climate change, that are compounded by a threat multiplier, cyber-enabled information warfare that undercuts society's ability to respond. The, uh, this is, uh, I'm quoting from the, the, bullet, the bulletin of atomic scientists. The international security situation, they write, is dire, not just because these threats exist, but because world leaders have allowed the international political infrastructure for managing them to erode. Now, I can't speak for other countries, but I can tell you that the erosion of infrastructure that might deal with something like the potential of a nuclear war here in the United States, the cutting back on funding for the State Department, for example, the uh, lack of even a serious consideration of anything like a Department of Peace, uh, you know, which should be the State Department, frankly. Um, expanding the, the, Mark Pocan talks about this frequently on this program, expanding the overview of the Defense Department and saying, okay, there's other things beyond bombs and tanks that are defense. Defense doesn't just mean warfare. That, you know, frankly, our public health system is part of our defense. I think you know, all of these are, are really important things to, to consider and remember, but basically I would say that this all started falling apart with the beginning of the neoliberal Reaganism experiment 40 years ago. We're 40 years now into this experiment of moving the wealth of society from the working class to the very, very rich, 
$7 trillion or more transfer of wealth from average working people to very, very rich people, and moving the tax load, essentially, from corporations who are paying a third of all federal income back in the, in the 1950s and 60s to instead uh, average working people. Rich people aren't paying taxes anymore. Trump doesn't pay taxes. Uh, big corporations don't pay taxes. Who pays taxes? You and me. And, you know, because we've got these freeloaders. But the problem that all this has created, all this, this dearth of revenue, and again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, the whole Star of the Beast thing. You know, Reagan's strategy was you give people, you give tax cuts, which cuts revenue to the government, and then you say, oh, hey, we don't have enough revenue. We can't, we can't, we can't offer Medicare for all. We couldn't pay for it. We can't pay for college. We can't, you know, have, have a holiday for, for student loan debt. We don't have the money because we had to give these tax cuts to these billionaires and these big corporations. But the secondary fallout of that is a lot of other things beyond just health care and, and education got cut as well. The State Department got cut. You'll recall during the George W. Bush administration, the, 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 there had been multiple requests to the State Department, excuse me, from the State Department to Congress for additional funding. This was when Republicans controlled the Congress for additional funding to harden the, the station at Benghazi. And the Republicans in Congress repeatedly, four times that I remember, said, no, we're not going to fund additional security for Benghazi. Ain't going to happen. Libya is not on our radar screen. We've got to have tax cuts for our billionaires. That's the important thing. And so, you know, cutting the State Department, cutting, you know, basically cutting the, the flesh out. I mean, this goes way beyond the fat. Cutting the flesh out of, out of our government, which is, you know, what Reagan said he was going to do. He started, you know, in his inaugural address, his first day in office, he said, government is not the solution to your problem. Government is the problem. And for 40 years, we have seen both Democrats and Republicans pursuing that, that path. Now, not so much Obama. But, you know, Bill Clinton bragged about ending welfare as we know it, uh, you know, bragged about getting government out of the way of regulations, bragged about getting government out of the way of uh, international trade. We're going to grease the rails of trade or whatever the phrase was. All of that kind of stuff. And now, you know, it's a much more dangerous world. It really, really is. So... And then, you know, I, well, I mentioned Sally Yates' testimony in the first hour. I'm not going to go back to that. Uh, we've got some comments from some of our folks watching on YouTube. Uh, Chase Ames asks, uh, oh, oh, uh, Chaz in Lakewood. Nezdrovia, will the NRA actually dissolve? Uh, Chaz, that's a, good, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Letitia James succeeded in getting, I believe it, she was the one, in fact, I'm quite sure of it, uh, succeeded in getting the Trump charity to dissolve and forcing the three Trump children to take a class in how not to commit fraud with a nonprofit, which is mind-boggling when you think about it. Can you imagine if one of Obama's kids had been forced to, to, to attend a class on how not to be a fraudster? Can you imagine what the Republicans would do with that? So whether the NRA will dissolve or not, I think it's pretty much already been dissolved. I mean, it's, it, I, the, the organization is in complete chaos and a shadow, you know, a, f a, f a fragment of what it used to be. And, you know, 
it's important to re realize that Wayne LaPierre and his wife and niece and all the other people that he's been flying around on private jets and everything else and, you know, going on his yachts with and stuff like this, that money came from people across the United States, uh, sports, sportsmen and women and, uh, you know, uh, recreational shooters um, and, and, you know, people who were worried, you know, worried about, you know, uh, crime or whatever it may be. By and large, you know, people who thought that they were giving money to the NRA so that it would fight the cause. They didn't realize they were giving money to the NRA so Wayne LaPierre could give himself a $17 million contract and hang out on the yacht and fly his wife and niece around on a private jet. So I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, another one. This is from uh, Kate asks, are you aware that the annual Sturgis motorcycle rally is proceeding as usual? An estimated 250,000 bikers will be attending the 2020 rally. No, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I can't confirm that. I haven't, I haven't double-checked it online. But uh, if that's the case, it does make a certain amount of sense. You know, a lot of these bikers, Donald Trump used to brag that he's got the bikers, right? It was his way of saying, you liberals, don't interrupt. Don't, don't, don't dare, you know, come into my rallies. We've got the bikers. The last time I remember bikers um, providing security was Altamont, right? Am I saying that right? Am I remembering the name of the town right? Um, you know, where the jazz festival, where they, they stabbed a guy? Uh, it didn't work out well. Yeah, Altamont. Okay, uh, Jeff asks, uh, do you think the Attorney General, why do you think the Attorney General of New York didn't bring any criminal indictments against Wayne LaPierre and others? I don't know. I, I think that she's uh, she is suing personally Wayne LaPierre and trying to recover some of these millions of dollars from him on behalf of the NRA or on behalf of the citizens of New York. And uh, Bonifacio says, what kind of shampoo does Tom use? Prell. I've used that since I was a kid. It was the cheap stuff when I was growing up. My parents always always had that. I'm guessing it was a question, a tongue in cheek question, but. Okay, here's another question. Will the Republicans use a vaccine as a political stunt? Um, what's the old saying that, uh, you know, from, from uh, oh, there was a very, very funny movie where, where, uh, where the actor turns and, and he says, you know, is, is, is a frog's butt watertight? Yeah, right. Uh, of course they're going to use the vaccine as a political stunt. Donald Trump thinks that a vaccine is going to be his October surprise. But what is happening is all across America, people are saying, no, we don't, we don't trust Donald Trump anymore. We don't trust the Trump administration. Increasingly, we don't trust Republicans because they take all this money from these industries, whether it's tobacco or fossil fuel or, or whatever, and then basically try to screw us. And Trump is doing the same thing. Anyhow, to your calls. Michelle in Denver, Colorado. Hey, hey Michelle, what's up? How do we get money out of politics? How do we change how people are elected? It's up to the people. Unfortunately, in America, people don't care, literally don't care. If it doesn't affect them, they aren't worried about it. And so you get 
a George Bush who they'd like to have a beer with instead of looking at what type of issues are important and the bigger picture, everybody in America. So unfortunately, until that changes, we're not going to see a lot of big difference. And that's why you can't get Medicare for all. Medicare for all won't happen until we can find a way to convince people that it would actually be good. Or if there's another option that could possibly um, help us bring down the insane amounts for insurance and everything else. This country is literally divided. And some of the people are divided within the Democratic Party, unfortunately. Sure. I have friends sure. that Although don't that's pay attention. Yeah. yeah, Michelle, don't you think that, that people might pay attention if they weren't getting a steady diet of BS from not just Fox News and right-wing hate radio, but it's coming out of right-wing think tanks? The other day, I was Googling something about Medicare because I'm working on this on this book about health care, uh, which will be out next fall. <laughs> Excuse me. And the top seven out of nine hits that I got on that and the first or the seven out of ten uh, that I got when I Googled were all right-wing think tanks. Every single one of them, you know, trashing Social Security, trashing Medicare, building the case for privatizing it, all this kind of stuff. And that's what, you know, this is the information bubble that everybody lives in, because uh, ever since the Powell memo, these these giant corporations and these billionaires have gotten together and said, okay, you know, we're going to just completely confound the American public. Half of Wikipedia now is useless because it's been edited to death, you know, by right wingers. It's uh, it's just breathtaking. It seems to me that we've got an information crisis more than just Americans don't care. I don't think this is a character flaw. I think Americans are living in a very, very confusing information world. I would say that's half of it, but I have people that don't feel politics are important, that it's not important to pay attention to what's going on, what bill's being passed, what's being yeah. put forward by this candidate or that candidate. They turn it off. They literally turn it off. That is why we're still fighting for equality. As an African-American, I'm on the front lines protesting. But do you see thousands upon thousands doing this on a regular basis? No. They do it when something happens, when it's effective. You know, just like with the young people, now they're paying attention. But you should have been paying attention all along. Once you turn 18, your focus should be towards your future. And unfortunately, we live in a country that is too watered down and two microwaves. If it's not happening instantaneously, people get bored and they stop paying attention. And this is what angers me as a person who actually contributes, knocks on doors, makes phone calls, you know, tries to educate people, like you said, the right wing uh, people out there that are listening and gobbling up this Fox News and not paying attention, is we need a lot more people to do this. And in order mm-hmm. for your future to be better, you have to think about other people's future. This is a world. Yep. We all got to live in it, yeah, including in with Europe. Yeah. And we can learn from them and they can learn from us. And we can exchange because had we asked Europe how this race thing was going to go, maybe we would be at a better solution right now because they've been through it. My mom's German. So I know what it's like to be oppressed. And I also know what it was like to live under Hitler if you didn't believe in him because she was thrown out of her house at two. She caught scarlet fever. They were put on a train because not everybody believed in Hitler. And to quantify a whole race of people 
buy that and still punish them for it is ridiculous because people fought against it too. So there's just things we need to exchange as a global world economy, as a global world that needs to live together, that needs to exchange money, that has to live in a clean, energy-efficient world where we're not spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on military that's going to people in need. I mean, you could see the homeless here in Colorado. It has grown because of this coronavirus, and I'm sick. I'm able to work from home, but how many people are giving to organizations that are helping? How many people really care about what's happening? We've got to pay more attention, and we have to be laser-focused. If you have kids, you should worry about your kids' future. My God, what does it take for people to wake up? That's the problem I have, because I see this on a regular basis. People just turning it off, turning it off, turning it off. Well, you're turning it off, but things are happening. People are suffering in this country, in the world. You know, we could come together and fix it but we gotta work together and we gotta pay attention to what's happening here i'm with you michelle i'm absolutely with you and and i think that the coronavirus if, if nothing else is causing a lot of people to go oh, and and this massive unemployment you know the, the, the trump virus and the trump depression but your your point is very well taken thank you very much michelle Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Tim in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Tim, what's up? You know, I live in a red state, and I'm considered an essential worker. I work three jobs, one of them being one of the large box-style stores. Anyway, the, the problem that, that the people in the red state are having with this $600 per week uh, that's going out to unemployment is, you know, there's there's a couple 20, 22-year-olds. Here's an example. A couple 22-year-olds get laid off from a restaurant. They were pulling down maybe 150 200 a week as a part-time worker, they're getting 2,400 a month. I'm working three jobs. I'm not even coming close to what these kids are making. I'm 58 years old. I've got a disabled brother. I've got, you know, I rehab wildlife. Tim, you're making a really good argument for us to raise the living, the, the, the minimum wage right now, the minimum wage is $7 and 25 cents an hour federally. And if we want to have this Republican argument just makes me crazy. Oh, gee, we're on unemployment. We're giving people too much money. And so they're making more than people who are employed. Then why don't we raise the pay of the people who are employed? You've got, you know, the biggest corporations in America right now are showing obscene profits. The, 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 the three or four richest people in the United States have, have made almost, a, you know, I, I don't recall if it was a trillion dollars or 400 billion, some mind boggling amount of money just in the last four months since this virus started. It, it is absolutely obscene. And to have Republicans call into this show or have anybody call, call in and say, oh, you know, gee, we shouldn't give all this money to people. 
you know, they're not going to want to work. <sighs> then how much should we cut the pay of senior executives, billionaires, multimillionaires? I mean, you know, if $600 a week causes people not to want to work, um, how, how much wealth should we strip away from, from trust fund babies, from, from you know, the, the children of very wealthy people who, who actually don't work? I mean, you know, is it, do we take them down to $200 a week, $100 a week? I mean, at what point, right? Or do we just acknowledge that that's a BS nonsense argument, number one. Number two, it's, uh, it's pretty mind-boggling. I mean, it's extremely mind-boggling. And then, of course, Steve Mnuchin cut a deal where, you know, the post office got a $10 billion loan in exchange for giving up all their proprietary information, their secret contracts uh, on uh, last mile delivery so that FedEx and UPS, once they have access to this information, can more effectively compete with and destroy the Postal Service. Thank you, Steve Mnuchin. Uh, Rick in uh, McKinleyville, California. Hey, Rick, what's up? Hey, Rick. Good morning, Tom. I'd like to suggest a solution to getting out of the virus-caused economic problems that we're having. I think we should use the power of we the people to help to transfer the 15 to $18 trillion that has been transferred from the middle class to the uh, ultra-wealthy in the uh, last 40 years of Reaganomics. And mm-hmm. what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is reverse the Reagan tax cuts and every other tax cut that's happened since then, and we would be back in the economic system of you know Lyndon Johnson, Jack Kennedy, Dwight Eisenhower, Harry Truman, and FDR, which worked. It built the middle class. It built the middle class very successfully and very large. The other thing you need to do is is uh, you know legalize unions again. I mean, between the Supreme Court and Republican uh, right to work for less laws all over the country, uh, you know our unions have just been terribly, terribly hurt. Um, But yes, absolutely. Steve in Noblesville, Indiana. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Oh, uh, I'm on Social Security. And I have a couple of small pensions, and that's all, you know, and then my wife's on Social Security, too. But I I just called my... uh, senators and representatives and told them keep their hands off of our social security all you want to do is give the rich some more money and and i just get so disgusted and i told them i said i'm gonna work my butt off to try and get you guys out of office so yeah well that's what we have to do steve that's the you know the basically the way our system is set up you know, we've got kind of two solutions. Number one, you know, speak out to exercise your First Amendment right of free speech, whether it's on social media or whether it's the, the First Amendment right to peaceably assemble and, and uh, you know, petition your government for redress of grievance. Uh, and number two, vote and, and you know, yeah. be politically active and vote. And God bless you. Well, That's what I, you're doing. Steve, thank you for the call. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. I, there's a very slight delay and I didn't hear you until after I'd already disconnected you. Charles in Creighton, Missouri. Hey, Charles, what's up? Uh, hello, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to talk about uh, this notion that people uh, that um, uh, think that everybody just sits home to draw unemployment, uh, that's not true. Uh, a lot of people are there because they don't have uh, any other choices at the moment. Uh, by the way, 
Uh, I lost a job uh, under Bush, but uh, I lost a job and took another job that paid less than uh, what I was getting on uh, unemployment. And the reason for that was I didn't want to be unemployed when that benefit ran out. So uh, mm-hmm. I chose to go back to work, taking less money, because, frankly, I was uh, tired of being out of work. Yeah, I, you know, people deal. find meaning in work. Even 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 rote work, even working at Burger King, people find meaning in work. And, you know, it's a good feeling to earn a paycheck and, and, and you know, do something that you feel, at the very least, is, is you know, a, a contribution to society as a whole, keeping the economy going. Even better to find work that is personally meaningful, which is probably only about a third of the workforce. You know, when you do the surveys and say, you know, is your work personally meaningful, about a third of people say yes. But, but work in and of itself is a good thing. This is why Franklin Roosevelt said the best welfare program is a job. And that's what he did. He gave jobs to Americans. So, yeah, spot on. Charles, thank Thank you for sharing your story. Raymond in Atlanta. Hey, Raymond, what's up? Hey, hey. I was going to mention, you mentioned about the uh, the, um, the wages, you know, the wages, a uh, working wage. Right, 600 bucks a week is $15 an hour, yeah. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm over at the pie shop. I have a business, and I like to buy tools from there, you know. And I went in there, and uh, there was no nothing on the um, on the counters. And I said, hey, you had a big sale or something? They said, no, with the amount of money people are receiving from the $600, there's no need for them to come in and pawn their items. So all the pawn shops right now are very empty, empty. So just that $15 an hour is doing it, is keeping people from having to go there and and, and, and pawn their items. So you can see how the $15 an hour would be wonderful to have as a base yeah. for, you know, the total, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it would it would yeah. bring America closer, maybe to 70 or 80 percent of the European standard of living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the American dream is live and well in Denmark. But yeah, that's fascinating, Raymond. Thank you. Thank you for the call. And thanks for sharing that story with us. Tom in Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, I've been a truck driver for about 25 years. I started out when I was 30. And um, about seven or eight years ago was the last time I got a, a benefit summary of how much I've contributed to Social Security. And I would estimate that I've probably given, uh, put in about $100,000 in Social Security since, uh, you know, since I started working. And um, right. I'm amazed at how many people don't realize that if we do away with Social Security, um, the money that we put in is at risk. And I would not put it past the Republicans at all to say, oh, well, all that money that you put in, well, it's gone. Sorry. And yeah, we have to pay down the national debt. We're going to take that money, which they can do if they do away with the Social Security Trust Fund, as Stephen Moore basically proposed on this program. He said, oh, that's not that's no big deal. And move the funding of Social Security out of the Social Security payroll tax and into the general fund, you know, general personal and corporate income taxes. If they do that, then they can easily cut Social Security anytime they want and they can use any old financial excuse from we've got to pay down the debt to uh we've got to pay more for the pentagon to you know we've got to you know whatever maybe we got to cut billionaires taxes i mean you know pick your poison so yeah spot on it's not just and it's not just me a progressive democrat that's going to be robbed 
it's going to be Republicans too. They want to do away with yeah, no, this is that's fine, but right. I want my money. Yeah, and 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 they don't care about that. They just they just care about rich people. CJ in Concord, North Carolina. Hey, CJ, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, I just was wanting to let the uh, Republicans know and ease their mind that unemployment it doesn't last indefinitely, especially with the states that eventually runs out. So I That's don't true. understand what the problem is with helping out the middle class just for the time being while we're in this pandemic. Well, we used to have unemployment benefits that could last up to two years. Then back in the 80s or 90s, they cut it down to one year. And now I know some states have cut it down to 13 weeks. Uh, it varies mm-hmm. from state to state. I don't know if the federal piece of that has been extended in this legislation, the CARES Act, you know, that the Democrats passed back two, three months ago. And I'm not talking about the HEROES Act, the new one that Mitch McConnell's refusing to bring up. I'm talking about the one that actually gave everybody 600 bucks. I don't know if they extended it or not, CJ, but it's an interest. It's a good point. It's a good point. And something that, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot for the call. Something we all need to be pointing out. Dave in Las Vegas. Hey, Dave, what's up? What uh, Mr. Moore was saying that they need to flip the uh, stimulus package to tap into Social Security and then pay people who are working as opposed to people who are on unemployment. When the, the, the pandemic right. situation is people who is we have a massive unemployment, it's not addressing the problem, correct? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the problem, problem is the virus unemployment. right now. And massive right. the economic, yeah, right. And the other thing is, yeah, he's uh, he is not he's he's totally opposed to giving unemployed people six hundred bucks a week, but he wants to give employed people a small uh, increase in their paychecks. I was going to say raise, but it's not a raise; it's a small increase in their paychecks. And he also wants to give all the corporations in America that employ people a a six and a half percent cut on in their payroll taxes. Uh, or seven percent cut, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's in that neighborhood anyway. A cut in their payroll taxes um, because, uh, gee, billionaires will get more money that way. You know what? I got people. I'm here in East Las Vegas. Uh, we got people mm-hmm. camping out drainage ditch because they got evicted, and it's summertime. Right. It's too hot to be camping around here. Oh man, my mind went blank. <clears throat> That's, that's okay, Dave. Happens to the best yeah. of us. Dave, I'm going to move along, but thank you. Give me, give me a call back if you figure it out. Chris in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Hey, Chris, what's up? What do other countries around the world, Germany, Sweden, Norway, Canada, what do they do for the retirement community um, that's a substitution for Social Security? And is that something the U.S. can model off of when Biden gets into the White House? The, the other countries around the world have programs that are very similar to Social Security in the United States. Um, that said, most countries in the world are heavily unionized. In Germany, in the industrial sector, it's well over 90%. I think across the entire economy, it's over 80%. In Denmark, it's in the neighborhood of 80%. McDonald's workers are unionized in Denmark. And the unions also uh, provide pensions for people. So uh, I have a friend in Germany who is uh, in his 70s right now. I've known him for 40 years. And you know, he's German, and he lives in Germany. And he's retired. He's sort of retired. He's still sort of working. Um, and he's getting a pension from work, and he's getting the what's called the state pension, which we would call Social Security. So it varies from country to country how they do it. 
and I don't think that there's a standard across the European Union. And, and of course, it, it also exists in Australia and New Zealand and other countries around the world. But basically, you know, we, we, we largely invented this in 1935. There were a few countries that were playing with it, um, but we were the ones who really, really put it on the, on the table. And pretty much every okay. other developed country around the world has picked up some variation on what you and I call Social Security. Okay, so Social Security itself is not broken like the Republicans like to tell us it is. Um, no, they just no, keep dipping it in there to earmark their own agenda. Right, and and Reagan back in 1983 said it was broken, and yeah, there was there were some adjustments that needed to be made to it, but they used that as an excuse to tax Social Security income, to cut Social Security benefits. Back in 1983, when Reagan went after Social Security, when you were retired on Social Security, you could actually live. I mean, you know, you you got you know a, a decent amount of cash. Um, you, you got enough cash to buy food, to pay rent, to pay medical expenses, things like that. Um, now, Social Security has not been indexed to inflation. It's been indexed to a unique qualifier of in inflation that doesn't go up as fast as expenses go up for retired people. So we've basically seen since 1983, every single year, um, shaving about a quarter of a point to a third of a point off the, the effective uh, you know, inflation-adjusted amount of revenue, amount of money that people on Social Security get to the point that now Social Security is is not anything that you can really seriously retire on. It is, it is, it just provides a slight edge against falling into just massive, overwhelming, you know, life-destroying poverty uh, when when you retire at 65. And of course, now we've got a lot of people in their late 40s, in their 50s, and in their early 60s who are losing their jobs because of COVID, and in all probability, will never get another job. And we really need to lower the eligibility age for Social Security to 50.